0: Hello and welcome back to Much Do About Rugby where we talk about everything rugby. Today we have an extraordinarily exciting guest with us. His name is Luke Upton and he's author of a recently released book released on the 16th of October, Hard Men of Rugby. Um, Luke, why don't you just give a quick brief introduction about yourself?
1: Thank you very much. Going to going to be tough to live up to that that billing. Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll try my I'll try my best on Just this. Just try uh, and big
0: you up, mate. Just try and big you <laughs> up on
1: this on this rainy Sunday morning. Um, mm. But yeah, so I'm a um, well, I'm a sort of journalist by by trade. Um, originally from from South Wales, Swansea, but uh, lived in London for the last sort of dozen years or so. Um, I, I kind of got into sort of doing rugby stuff. I mean, I'm a lifelong sort of rugby fan, but um, me and a, a mate of mine started a, a Gavin Henson parody account uh, on Twitter uh, about eight or nine years ago now, um, and it's still going somewhat remarkably. What's um, the
0: tag? What's the tag on
2: that? It's,
1: uh, at not Gav Henson. <laughs>
2: um,
1: legal reasons, not Gav Henson. Uh, it is a parody. Uh, but we've got about forty-one thousand followers now, um, including, I mean, lots of internationals, uh, lots of media folks. Um, the main man himself, the real big Gav, is, is a follower. Um, so yeah, we've we've had a bit of fun with that. Uh, obviously, the ups and downs of his career. I think when we started, I think he was just doing The Bachelor on TV, which you may or, may or may not
0: remember. Um, no, I think that's probably a bit before our time. But yeah, it
1: was a sort of dating show where he had to meet like, I don't know, like 50 It seems
0: like something recognize. he would do, though. It seems yeah. like, because he's all faked hand up, isn't he, and all that. So,
1: yeah, I don't know.
0: He's a bit sort of a of ladies' a- man.
1: A sort of shy show off. He's a sort of odd, odd mix of of, of person. But yeah, so we we kind of kept that going and obviously his career's gone up and down. Like he was out in France, he had a you know a good spell at Bath and Bristol where he played some decent rugby and then he's sort of Newport and yada yada yada. But yeah, and then a couple of years ago I published a book um called Absolutely Huge, which is a sort of spoof autobiography of a of a Welsh rugby player who, um, you know, burned very brightly at the start of his career then then made some uh made some bad choices and ended up in reality tv before making a bit of a comeback so uh, obviously completely, uh, completely I wonder who
0: that up. could be referring <laughs> to
1: um and that went well and then uh sort of about 18 months ago the same publisher um asked me to to get working on a book called um hard men of of rugby so um it's a they did a book a couple of years ago that was sort of Welsh focused, but they're, they're kind of quite international now. So they wanted a global one. So, yeah, so published about two weeks ago, um, it's profiles of 20 um, of the toughest guys to ever play rugby, spanning about 110 years. So, we've got a, a Scottish guy called um, David Bedell sivright who was a, a great player in the sort of 1910s. Um, and lost his life in, in World War One, unfortunately, and then it goes right up to sort of modern day people. So we've got like Bucky's Bertha in there, and you know people who will be kind of familiar now. So yeah, it's a lot of a lot of fun. Um, nice sort of bite-sized kind of chapters in a way, really focusing on some of their you know some of their exploits and some of their off the field activities because most of them were a real handful off the pitch as well as uh, as well as on it. And you know the guys are from the amateur era as well as a whole kind of hinterland with them being you know, a sailor or a, um, a copper or a farmer, you know, there's a host of other stories that have come in there. So yeah, so it was, it was really, really good fun to, to write. And I, you know, I got to speak to some of the guys as well. So I, I had a couple of good chats with, um, you know, with Bucky's Berta. And that was, you know, that was great to speak to him. And then, um, you know, we did a profile on Jerry Collins, the, the New Zealand great, yeah. who died in a, you know, tragic accident a couple of years ago. And mm spoke to Lee Byrne sort of lions and wales fall back about him because he lived with him when he played the ospreys and yeah we spoke to quite a few different people to to put some contributions in so yeah it was great great fun to write and um yeah it seems to be going down going down quite well a good a good sort of lockdown book you know kind of quite cheery yeah uh, kind obviously of easy to read. <laughs>
0: obviously like a few incredible players there um and you've just mentioned about about backy's boat and being able to chat to him and being chat being able to chat to people like Lee Byrne yeah um my question is like of all the players that you met whilst writing um the book who was probably the most interesting and and the most um you know yeah the most interesting to chat to about a particular player or about themselves
1: yeah I mean I think um yeah, I spoke to to Brian Lima, who was a uh, sort of Samoan great um, from the sort of '90s into the 2000s. And he he was really good. I mean, he's he's back in Samoa now, so getting his his recollections. I mean, he um, he had a massive tackle on a on a South African uh, number ten called Derek Hugard. So it was about 2003 in the World Cup, and it was it was kind of like an early YouTube sensation, really. He totally lined him up, basically, and yeah. smashed him into the ground. I mean, legal, but you know brutal um so I got I got Lima's perspective on it and then I actually managed to speak to Hugard as well um and his <laughs> his memory of it and kind of got stitched up like he got got a high pass and he had to sort of stop to grab it and then he just saw Lima come hospital
0: towards him and hospitalized him
1: and saw, yeah <laughs> it's great to get like those two guys recollections and you know like, again have a look have a look at it on YouTube afterwards and you, you'll kind of see what I mean but they were good I mean Bacchus Berta obviously the kind of the biggest name in the book and you know, being a being a sort of rugby fan and a you know seeing him on the pitch, you obviously get a perception of him. And you know, he's no angel, obviously. And he, he sort of saw <laughs> it himself. Um but he was a you know a really, really lovely guy. And he he seems very uh you know, very at peace with himself. I mean, he won you know the, the sort of super 14 or super 12, whatever it was then, about three times, yeah. he won the hiding cup three times, he won the World Cup. You know, he's got this, uh, you know, he's got the family, lives on the the farm. He's got a a butchery business as well. Uh, So massive slabs of like South African meat from the huge animals they have down there. But yeah, I mean, he was he was probably the most surprising just because he was so he's kind of Zen. You know, he seemed so Mm -hmm. kind of wound up on the pitch all the time and you know we spoke about that a bit in the book but he seemed so chill and um just a sort of genuinely sort of nice book because i was you know a little bit apprehensive of speaking to him yeah like, like ah you know i got to talk to him about a few of the few of the few of the red cards and a few of the, <laughs> you know, the tricky moments and I, I don't want the guy kind of you know <laughs> me down the phone yeah. but no, he was he was sound as a parent actually he was a really really nice guy and it's it's kind of funny how you see someone on the pitch and then you know, when you speak to them off it, they're quite a different person. But yeah, I wouldn't have fancied you playing against him <laughs>
2: yeah. no, like that.
0: No, he seemed pretty brutal.
2: Yeah, I feel like it happens quite a lot with South African players, to be fair. Because I know I was watching, obviously being a Saris fan, we had Jacques Berger. Yeah. Um, who I think is like fairly similar in that nature. And I was watching an interview with him. Obviously, he's just retired and he's moved. Obviously, he's from Namibia, but um, same, same kind of area. And he's actually moved back and they have like a farm as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think that that's just probably a thing that they do after they retire, go and yeah. act, live on their farms.
1: I think they're quite quite rooted in where they're you know where they're from and everything, and I think the cult, the culture the sort of rugby playing culture is so strong there. I think, and um, I think certainly. Um, his butter. i don't know about burger but mm. you know he's quite um quite into his church and his community and, and that sort of thing and you know you just see him on the pitch and there's some great youtube you know compilations of him just like smashing oh. guys in the back of the head and,
0: and yeah. That's cool. there's that, <laughs> yeah there's that one is it, is it on Richie mccall where he dives over the back of it yeah. and headbutts him down yeah, into the awesome, ground
2: yeah
0: horrific like a red card in yeah. I yeah yeah in everyone's opinion
2: yeah
0: um
1: but then and then you hear some other, you know, some other stories about people, not in this book, but some people who you think have got a really nice kind of nice guy reputation and actually off the pitch they're a bit, you know,
0: mm-hmm. a bit prickly
1: to people. So yeah, it's um it's funny. But yeah, he was definitely he was definitely a good guy to, to speak to and um the copy that he hasn't actually seen. The book is on its way to him now, uh, so I'm interested to hear, <laughs> hear what he thinks about it when it comes out because he hasn't seen obviously hasn't seen it written. But I think you know for all these guys in there, you know, none of them are angels, you know. But I think my my sort of criteria was that they're you know they're kind of tough guys, and there's a couple of you know there's some blemishes there, but they're all really good players as well. So none of these guys are just like straight up thugs because. That's not yeah. that's not what it's about. And you know, not much of you know the premeditation as well. So if if the stuff is in the heat of the battle, that's one thing. But if you're if you're planning before the match to go out and smash someone in the head in the first two minutes, that's you know, that's not on really. So trying to kind of keep away from that sort of stuff. And the the guys who do that kind of thing don't really become great players anyway.
0: Yeah. And um I would just ask, so we've asked who 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 you've met that's been the most interesting to meet. But um obviously you've written about players that fought in world war one you've already mentioned and um i'll just ask question who did you enjoy writing about the most as in 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 the book or were they all kind of equal did every player have their kind of highlights and and you know each player stands out for you for a different reason or is there one that you know really really stood out to you
1: it's a good it's a good question i mean you know as a you know as a wales fan obviously you know, writing about Scott Gibbs, he was kind of like my my sort of you know era when I was younger. So he's like quite a special player, like Jerry Collins. I mean, a kind of remarkable guy. Um, uh, and he played for the Ospreys, so I was an Ospreys fans. So a bit of a you know resonance there, and obviously you know terribly sad what happened to him. Um, I sort of got an attachment to you know to all of them in a in a way. You spend a bit of time time in the you know in their worlds, and you kind of get into it. Um, but I think probably the most probably the most interesting guy, admittedly because of the, the sort of circumstances that he that he lived, was um, the first chapter in the book. So it's a guy called Paddy Main. So he was um, a guy from Northern Ireland, and he played for uh, played for Ireland and the Lions um, in the kind of mid to late '30s. Um, so a really good player for them. Went on a tour to, to South Africa, a bit of a you know a bit of a hell raiser down there. Um, but he uh, he basically he was a co-founder of what would become the SAS in World War Two. So crazy exploits him in North Africa, um, you know, him in Italy, him in Germany, him in France, um, just sort of, you know, single handedly rescuing guys from under machine gun fire and you know, all, all kind of like by sort of stuff. Um, but then you look a little bit more at him and he you know, he was a bit troubled as well. I think he was a bit of a loner and a bit of a drinker. And probably now you would You know you would say that he had sort of ptsd or something you know because what he kind of went through in world war ii you you know you couldn't come out of it sort of unscathed so it was interesting because you know you see the headline and he's a sort of you know irish lions you know major in the sas and you think wow this guy is like you know cool as and then you look a little bit more at the character i think actually he was kind of quite unhappy and he died um in 19 he was only 35 i think when he died he had a, a kind of chronic back injury after world war Two, which was partly from playing and, and partly from what he was doing in the war and he he couldn't play rugby um he couldn't even stand on a terrace to watch it um and he ended up kind of well having a few drinks one night and crashing into a lamppost at three in the morning. And, you know, life was kind of very sad. So he's really, really interesting. And there's some, some great books about, about him. So yeah, I'd say just for the, the sort of the, the depth of the man, I would say Paddy main, um, would be, would probably be my, my most interesting one, chapter number
0: one. Awesome. And if you do want to read more about Paddy Main and other hard men of rugby, go and buy Luke's book. It's available on Amazon for less than £10. Um, It only came out 10 days ago. So get in there whilst the copies are still hot off the press. um, Sounds like an absolutely riveting read. And thanks so much for chatting about your book. Obviously, um, we are going to talk about the rugby that um, happened this weekend. Um, But before I do that, I should probably mention that we will also be doing a giveaway for one of Luke's books. Um, Luke's kindly going to offer us one and we're going to do a giveaway to our loyal supporters and our loyal followers. So stay tuned on the Instagram and Facebook pages for that. Um, We'll have more info on that in the coming days. Um, But without further ado, let's start talking about the rugby that happened this weekend. So I think we should probably start by talking about um, some of the international rugby that happened obviously the return of international rugby um we had a six nations match ireland versus italy and a six nations warm-up game on the same day france versus wales um maxim which one do you want to talk about first
2: let's talk about the wales game first
0: awesome okay so luke you watched this and you're a wales fan um i assume yes uh
1: yeah yeah i did i did watch it and um yeah, it's, I mean it's obviously a disappointing, you know, disappointing result. You go, you go ten nil up, and it's you know it's obviously disappointing to to lose that. I think it's a little bit difficult to know exactly what to make of it. I mean, you know, Welsh rugby is is sort of feast or, or famine, really, uh, and it, it does seem to be you know, highs or lows, and there's a little bit of, um, I think, of of a sort of a bit of a false memory of some of the Gatland era, like obviously Gatland was, you know, fantastically successful. And you know, this time last year we'd, we'd won a grand slam and we were going to be a semi-final, but there were lots of gaps in those 10 years. You know, there were years when there were, you know, there were poor six nations, there were bad results, autumn internationals, we lost every game. So I think there's a bit of a rose tinted view of some of the Gatland era, which is coming through on perhaps some of the perception of of the start that that PVAX had. Um, but that said, I think they're certainly missing. They're certainly missing Sean Edwards, and I certainly think that France are enjoying having him there.
0: Yeah, um, I would still- say that France are just, oh, probably they're the most informed Northern Hemisphere side at the moment as well. So for that to be your warm-up game, and obviously you both played um, Wales and France, both played um, full-strength sides almost. Uh, I just think France's quality in their nine and ten really showed, and when you have players outside that, like Vaca Tower, you know, Vactel was running through everyone basically every time he got the ball. I thought Teddy Thomas' try was incredible. I think France just have a lot of flair at the moment. They've they've rediscovered that French flair that's been notorious in their teams in like previous decades. But this decade, they kind of lost that a bit, you know, when Bastro was playing in the centres and they couldn't really thread many passes together, couldn't play with that French flair. But now I think Dupont's giving them that quick ball and Tamat's got that, you know really good just rugby brain and he's so good off off the boot um he's he threads the right balls through passing
2: wise um I just don't think Wales could really live with it, judging by the highlights. Um, no. I think that's the main thing, to be honest, with France. I know we've spoken about France quite a bit before, but I do think if you compare to to how they've been over the last 10 years, similarly, Luke, to how you're sort of discussing uh, Wales over the last 10 years, there's been an extreme lack of consistency, probably one of the least consistent sides <laughs> in the uh, international sides in the world. Um, and I think a lot of that is to do with just not having that set nine or ten. I think I saw a stat, I can't remember the exact stat, but their number of nine and ten combinations over the last sort of five to ten years that they've tried out is actually incredible. Um, and I think now once you have Antoine Dupont, of course, and, and Tomac just running the show and actually having more structure to their game, um, especially in sort of an uh, attack that's just so dangerous. And like you said, Ed, having those flare players outside them, um, it's just pretty unplayable, I think, to be fair. Um, and I think it's helped them a lot, having Sean Edwards. Um, I mean, what we've seen a lot before, in my opinion, was like defensively just a lot of errors and not... Uh, it didn't seem like an intensive um, defensive effort. Uh, and I think now, especially in defence with Sean Edwards, it's clear to see that they have actually managed to, to get that structure, especially in defence. Um, I'm interested to know your thoughts on, I mean, obviously we saw Racing do pretty well um, in the Champions Cup, um, arguably uh, one of the best sides in the whole competition, uh, lose, obviously really, really impressive. How much do you think that um, form on a, on a European level actually translates across and is partially the reason why they're achieving more or looking more dangerous on an international stage?
1: Yeah. Um. I think i definitely think it's a it's a factor in there um and obviously they, they finished the season well, i mean getting to two finals finished season well um you know that said the welsh regions are on the whole abysmal in the heineken cup um not really troubling anyone beyond the quarterfinals um
2: mm-hmm.
1: and they've done all right the last few years um but i think ultimately if you're playing you know if you're playing well and you're playing good rugby you, you know you you transfer that into the the international game uh and i think looking at the next world cup being in france i mean you wouldn't you wouldn't bet on a world cup winner right now but i think if you had to i think i'd probably put a few quid on you know on france you know these, these guys are pretty young um they're already going to get better they're going to be at home so yeah i think they're i think they're pretty strong and i think it means that it's it's not a crisis for for welsh rugby although you know looking at a few facebook comments this morning it, you know it always <laughs> is but I think the game against Scotland next week is is quite a big game now. It's to go from winning the Grand Slam last year um, to only beating Italy in the space of 12 months, albeit a kind of weird 12 months, um, would be pretty negative. So I think, you know, a good win over Scotland next week and then you're looking at it in a bit of a different light. But yeah, I think it becomes quite a big um, quite a big game next week and it's probably a bit of a toss-up, to be honest, at the moment.
0: Yeah, I I think I would probably say that Wales should win that. I mean don't know about Scotland still. They're, they're another side that's been particularly inconsistent in recent years, you know. They had that amazing game, that amazing draw against England when they just switched it on, and Finn Russell's back in the fold now, so I don't know how that changes things. And you've got the players like uh, Johnny Gray and Stuart Hogg, who are playing in the best side in Europe at the moment, Exeter, who are coming off some really good form. So, you know, who who knows? We could see a really fired-up Scotland side and, and a surprise... I would say it's a surprise result because just... Wales generally considered to be the better side, um, yeah. But nonetheless, uh, France thirty-eight, Wales twenty-one was the final score in that one. Moving swiftly on to the uh, match that was actually on before that game, the Ireland Italy game. Um, Mackie thoughts and thoughts and comments. Well, what was the final score in that? The final score was quite a lot to quite a little, <laughs> um, fifty to seventeen to Ireland um, at the Aviva.
2: Yeah, I mean, as as expected, really, right.
0: I mean, yeah, I think just I, I watched it up until half time and Italy. I mean, there was a great segment before the before the match about Sergio Parisse. And I actually looked at the Italy lineup and I just saw no one of any note. And I was kind of just a little bit depressed because everyone quite likes Italy because everyone knows that they're not gonna win anything. Ever, And they might occasionally beat Scotland and they might occasionally beat France, but they haven't actually won a six nations game in the past five or six years. And Mm -hmm. I think it really calls for Italy to be looked at as, you know, do we need to reduce it down to a five nations? Because from what I saw on yesterday, I mean, that was not a competitive test side. I mean, Ireland are a good side. Yes. And they're expected to win. But I mean, you know, one try and a couple of penalties isn't really cutting it nowadays. In or is it was it two tries and a couple yeah, of penalties? Yeah. Is, is is not really cutting it nowadays in, in this six nations. And I mean, even Scotland ran through them before the lockdown, so
1: it's it's difficult because you know, I watch the, the Celtic League, um, and the, the club teams or you know, the, the Italian teams that have improved you know, quite significantly because they were, you know, they were cannon fodder for quite a few years and it's, mm. they are a lot better now and it's it's actually quite a difficult place to, to go, particularly the way fixtures and you see the scores there, you know, they, they've had wins in, you know, in Wales and Scotland and things. So the club teams are, you know, have improved, but yeah, it's, it's a disappointing, you know, another disappointing tournament for the Six Nations, uh, for the, for Italy. Um, but then you look at, you know, there's a cause for kind of Georgia to, to come on in or something, but then they got, what was that? Forty-eight-seven or something to Scotland yeah. on, on Friday night. So if you, you know, if you swap them out, it's it would be probably it's even... like
0: for like. Mm.
1: Um, but the fact that the, the tournament comes down a little bit to, you know, making sure you get a bonus point victory over Italy now um, seems to be one of the cornerstones of it. Um, <laughs> that said, if you haven't seen it, the the second Italy try right on the eighty, brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Um, oh, really? Turns the Irish fallback inside out, goes out under the post. So yeah, have a look at that. You know, there are moments of quality, but <laughs>
0: you know. I just I just turned it off a half time. I was watching with my mum, and mum, my mum, who doesn't know loads about rugby, obviously, she was like, Italy are just crap. Like <laughs> they just they are just bad at rugby compared to someone like Ireland. And I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's just a personal thing for me. I just would prefer if the six Nations was more competitive and they just took that fixture out and Italy I mean it's unfair a little bit on Italy because they will feel like they deserve to be there but at the same time you need to you need to at least have a chance of winning a game and at the moment the other nations are just so far ahead so far ahead and with the loss of Paris as well I think that's a that's a big loss because yeah. he was he was a massive cornerstone of that Italian side um and you yeah basically just carried them all those years and now he's retired so he'll play against in england i think get his get his final cap send off in a nice thrashing um
1: exactly yeah 55-5 or something next saturday it's kind of you know um yeah. there are a couple of a couple of good debuts for for ireland though uh hugo Keenan, and the leinster mm-hmm. winger got two tries could have had a should have had a third and i think will connors as well um mm-hmm. And the back row is was, was I really... don't
0: take them I don't take them seriously though because it's against Italy. I can't yeah. I can't I can't actually judge them properly. It's it seems kind of weird to say, but I would much prefer to see them play against anyone else and then see that how actually good they are, because I don't think that those players would perform as well, you know. Like Keenan showed some really good gas for his foot for his um for his try when he when they grubber kicked it through and he you know, slid over the line, but at the same time, Italy's backfield defense wasn't good. So, can you really judge it? I I feel like I'm just stating Italy here. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I mean, he did what they like. You can only beat what's in front of you and play well against what's in front of you, right? Mm. It's, it's true. Seeing,
1: like, O'Connor's and Keenan are in in Paris on Saturday nights. I mean,
2: yeah, that's, that's, the that's it. That's if they
0: even play though. Well, yeah, it's like. You know, do you really think, who who is Keith Earl still around and about? Um, yeah. Stock- Stockdale starts um, and Lama comes back into the fold or is he injured? I don't know. Um, but that's that's Ireland's st- strongest back three in my opinion. And Keenan's had a you know good season for Leinster. But at the same time, even Leinster have better backs, even when Leinster have James Lowe and people who are starting over him. And James Lowe is about, to, we've already spoken about that in a previous, previous episode. He's going to come into the Ireland fold. So, yeah, is, is there really a place for Keenan in that side? Personally, I don't think so.
1: Well, we will see.
0: We will see. <laughs> we will see.
1: When he's a Lion um, starting winger in the... Oh, uh.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'll eat my own words. So I will. I will. <laughs>
2: yeah, we'll, um, come, we'll come
0: back to this moment. <laughs> <laughs> There'll be, um, there was meant to be, sorry, another fixture today. Um, it was meant to be the England Barbarians game at. at twickenham i think but that's been cancelled uh maxim what do you make of that
2: yeah not impressed i mean i i wear my saracen shirt in shame today uh because apparently it was majority saracens players who for people that don't know essentially broke the the covid restrictions for their team and left the team hotel um against the rules and then they cancelled the game which i think I'm quite pleased that they cancelled the game. It shows, obviously, that they're taking it seriously. Um, they could easily have just gone, oh, whatever, we'll put the game on it. Obviously, a lot of people wanted to watch that game. I was really, really looking forward to it. Um, so, massively disappointing. But, yeah, I think really quite responsible behaviour, to be fair. And I know Saracens, actually, they released like a club statement um saying that they're essentially gonna punish the people (laughs) and they say like it's completely against yeah naughty naughty it's completely (laughs) it's completely against like sari's code or whatever um and i think chris robshaw posted a formal Mm -hmm. apology as well
0: um, Not a good he, way to cap off his Premiership career, really, is it? No,
2: it's disappointing. Uh, definitely very, very disappointing. I'm sure, like, if I was an England player now, I'd be really, really annoyed, especially one of the ones that was going to make a debut or um, just play international rugby for the first time, really. Um, I'd be pretty upset. I don't know what you guys think about that. Yeah,
0: yeah, Luke, what do you make of it?
1: It's Yeah, it's it's pretty embarrassing. I mean, reading about it yesterday, they they were given very clear instructions as to where where they could and couldn't go and they were in this bubble and they you know they just completely ignored it twice it seems um and senior guys yeah chris robshaw is what 35 or whatever he is you know he's people who should know better um and yeah there seems to be some some sort of repercussions as well because you know quilter are sponsoring a a game which doesn't happen so Mm. you know are they owed some money You know, the the TV company paid to show a game this afternoon that isn't happening. You know, there's sort of financial Mm. repercussions from this in a time when there's not lots of rugby money knocking around. And, you know, when people are going to the government with a sort of begging bowl to help prop up the sport, it's not a good look when the guys at the top end of it are just, well, you know, taking the piss basically, aren't they? Um, And spoiling it for everyone else. So, yeah. But as you said, I think it's probably is good that it's cancelled because it just shows a message to everyone that this is, Serious, and I think when you're looking at competitive games like next week Super Saturday, what you know, what if you know five of the Scottish lads or whatever are busted out, and that game doesn't happen? What what does that mean for competitive games? You know, for Barbar's England game, it's not the end of the world, perhaps, but when you start mm. looking at this kind of thing, it's like what what's the contingency for that? Do Wales get a walker yeah, very disappointing, particularly as it's a horrible rainy day here in London. So I was looking forward to watching something this
0: afternoon. Um, Yeah, Yeah, obviously extremely disappointing. Um, We were all looking forward to finally seeing England play again. Well, maybe not Luke because you're a Wales fan, but (laughs) uh, probably looking more forward to see the Barbarians play some some nice running rugby. Maybe not in this weather though. No. Um, No, so the final game, which we have to talk about, probably... I would say the most important game of the weekend um was the premiership final which was won by exeter 1913 who beat a, a resilient wasp side um and yeah so Exeter have now done done the double um like following in saracen's footsteps um extremely good side we've already mentioned them a ton of times before but um luke you didn't watch the game no no no, you, I'm not sure how much you really missed out. It was an extremely wet and windy and cold night at, at Twickenham, but Max, and you did watch the game, so tell us your thoughts.
2: Yeah, I thought, despite the weather, I actually thought it's a really, really good game, uh, really exciting. Uh, obviously, we didn't see absolutely incredible rugby, but no, I thought it was really sort of a, quite an interesting game to watch in terms of decisions for sure. Uh, I mean, if I was to pick. Uh, a moment (laughs) of the match. I think it was when uh, Exeter were 16, 13 up. And I think that was about eight minutes to play. Um, And Wasps had a penalty on Exeter's five meter line. Uh, And then they made the decision to kick to the corner um, and lost the line out ball, which was uh, (laughs) essentially the game.
0: That's that hooker, um, their sub hooker, Ogre, I think his name is. And, I was really confused because obviously it was the coldest wettest night no one could keep a hold of the ball and what lineout call does i it, it must be Joe Launchbury doing the calls surely mm-hmm. and he calls he calls like middle slash back back ball at the lineout and you think surely you go front and try and maul like just get up in front of Exeter secure the ball make sure you've got possession don't try and do some sort of flare lineout move at the back because you can't catch the ball and it just so happened <laughs> that Ogre chucked it in and it, it was the not not the best sorry let's just put it that way
2: yeah I mean to be honest with you like Wasp's line-out was terrible all day and I think if you combine that with the, the weather that was clear and the fact that it was a sub hooker who just come on and you're throwing to the back of the line-out yeah fine your ball might have more of a chance if you throw it to the back but it's kind of like the percentage play, right? Is to play it safe. Like you literally, this is to this is to win the Gallagher Premiership, and you've just made a silly call uh, and not executed it properly. Um, which yeah, it was super disappointing obviously i was i, I was uh, a yeah, supporting loss <laughs> in the match um i was a bit disappointed uh, at that but no hats off to exeter they 100 deserve it they were absolutely incredible i think my standout performer actually who i don't think got enough credit really was um johnny hill um he was really really impressive to me i think um i don't people don't talk about him enough in my opinion um he definitely played absolutely excellently also someone who I thought played really, really well was Jacob Umaga for Wasps. So that's the Wasp number ten. Um, who it was actually it's actually quite funny. If you listen back to our first episode, we uh we talk about Jacob Umaga <laughs> not in the best light, uh, because he was like that. That's Ian McEachan's top 10 young players to watch
0: yeah I didn't Ian, Ian I not say anything clearly, nice about him
2: <laughs> clearly knows him far more about rugby than us because we did not back that decision
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, we also didn't back about Joe Simmons did we because they had about three England 10s on the list yeah <laughs> they were all really young and I was like you can't have this many 10s they're not all the best players <laughs> oh, But dude. obviously we've been proven wrong because Joe Simmons is absolutely insane as well but Luke any, any comments on Exeter at all just uh, generally obviously you didn't watch the match but as a team
1: yeah i mean just i mean just sort of very very impressive really and i think i'm sort of glad they won yesterday and you know max and i don't want to i don't want to run down saracens for the last few years but you know you could you could probably argue that there should have been one or two more uh one or two more titles in there if things have been a little bit different um but yeah i think it's you know i think it's a, i think it's a great story i think there's a little bit of a. Uh, um a Little bit rose tinted, I think, some of the views on Exeter. I mean it's they've obviously grown quite organically, but there's obviously been quite a bit of money behind it as well. Um, but yeah, worthy, worthy winners and also fair play to Wasp, so because of they yeah, such an up and down week. Um and they actually could have come away with with the win yesterday. Um mm. and yeah, funny, we, we started talking about uh, we mentioned Jerry Collins at the start and um Jacob O'Mangas is his, his cousin, I think. His time ta- well, Tana O'manga is Jerry Collins' cousin. Yeah. So. Must be mm. the second cousins or something. Um, so yeah, what a what a what a family.
0: Yeah, that's
2: yeah. insane. Uh,
0: seriously impressive. He, he uh, we actually like,
2: did. He, he doesn't look like he should be good at rugby, though, does he? Really? <laughs> <laughs> like, he looks he a bit. Look... <laughs> he looks like a twelve-year-old, really. Yeah. yeah. And he's just like re- he's so so good. You know who else? How good is Henry Slade? Come on. Oh, he's
0: <laughs> got to start for the Lions. <laughs> yeah. He's Incredible. seriously good. His 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 ghosting run through. Um. Yeah. Just straight through the wasp's defence was actually. Yeah. I. I. I had a bit of a reaction to that. You know, feelings of serious love for Henry Slade. But no. As, I. Sorry. Go on.
1: As as England fans, um, do you want Rob Baxter as the next?
0: Mate, as long as Slade's playing for the England team, we're gonna win. Next so.
1: Coach, when Eddie Jones uh leaves
2: yeah I just next i I don't think I'd want Rob Baxter, to be honest. Um, we play too
0: boring rugby right
2: yeah. uh, well, it' be boring It'd be boring rugby. We might win, but <laughs> it would be a bit boring i do
0: I do want to see us pass it to the wing at some point, you know yeah. we do have Johnny May and Jack Noel well was yeah. actually out for next week, which is a bit disappointing. um but yeah some some fixtures next week going on. so yeah congr- congratulations to Exeter. Massive, massive thing to win the double. Um, after after ten years after their promotion from the championship, so amazing achievement there. So congratulations to them. Uh, we do have some Six Nations fixtures next weekend. Um, Mackie, do you remember what they are? This it's England versus Italy, isn't it? Italy. I should have uh. probably I should have probably <laughs> written them down. <laughs>
2: uh, let me find out. <laughs> it's france France France.
0: versus ireland and then it's wales versus scotland and there are three teams in in the running to to win so ireland are top of the table with their bonus point win over italy uh, yesterday um and then it's england and france level pegging on 13 points at the moment in the table so very very interesting final weekend coming up i think we all expecting them to come away with a bonus point victory against Italy and then it's all going to be between Ireland and France what happens next so make sure you're watching that game um Luke thank you so much for coming on mate you've been an absolute pleasure really chatty and uh yeah feel free to come on whenever if you ever need any more promo thank you you very
1: much bye uh yeah really appreciate coming on um and yeah have a good, uh, have a good day. Like, uh, good luck next week against Italy. Although you probably won't
0: need it. Yeah. <laughs> thank you very much, mate. And, uh, good luck to you against Scotland. Uh, I'm sure you, you should come away with a win there.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, just a quick reminder. Obviously we are looking to do a give, a giveaway for one copy of Luke's book, hard men of rugby, which is obviously if you don't want to be part of the giveaway, giveaways out on Amazon at the moment for less than a tenner. So make sure you cop a copy and, um, yeah, thank you so much for listening to Much Do About Rugby. We are of course available on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. The new website should be up and running very soon. And know we say this every episode, but um, we're waiting <laughs> on Maliki for that one. It's up and running. Yeah, yeah, it's up. It's right up. then, go and ge- go and check us out on on the web. Um, and <laughs> the yeah, I guess web. I guess that's everything for today. Make sure you go and follow our Instagram and Facebook pages. Obviously, you know the tag just. You know, plug it in. <laughs> um, and we'll see you in the next one. Thank you so much, Luke again. Cheers, Bye) <laughs>